What's up, everybody? You are listening to the latest episode of the Pure Sports Pod. This is Matt Wyrick and Kevin Haswell sitting down after a weekend of some wild college basketball games, uh, NBA play, uh, All-Star Weekend, um, and some big moves in MLB free agency. We've got a lot of talk about. Kevin, how you doing? Doing pretty well. You know, it was a fun All-Star game last night. A little change to, from the past. I mean, in the past, people haven't been interested in it. So, uh, you know, there's a lot more interest last night. I think the guys played with a chip on their shoulder. Uh, LeBron definitely did, uh, all-star game MVP, and, you know, it, it was fun to watch. A great weekend, you know, I called Donovan Mitchell winning the slam dunk contest. Um, so, you know, pretty good weekend, but now we have to wait till Thursday until the NBA comes back, unfortunately, but excited for this episode. Yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't honestly tune in. It hasn't interested me, but after reading about it, I might tune in next year, especially if they televise the draft. Uh, you know, they had it behind closed doors, Team LeBron's Team Steph. I think if they had televised that, that would have been a great publicity uh, stunt. They, yeah, I've heard that they're doing mm-hmm. it. I mean, NFL did try that, though. They did have um, some guys, you know, select teams, everything, and they had a whole thing. I remember watching it a few years ago. But the NFL, uh, the problem with the NFL is, you know, the Pro Bowl is, like, by far the worst all-star game. Mm-hmm. There's no contact. No one wants to hit each other. Whereas in basketball, I mean, yes, you're risking injury, but it's not as physical as football is. Um, so it's definitely more of an interesting all-star game. I mean, the Pro Bowl is just going to be garbage regardless because no one will try. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get back over to the NBA in a little bit. But I first wanted to talk about MLB. Uh, the big news of the weekend was the Padres signing Eric Hosmer to an eight-year, $144 million deal. Uh, it's the biggest contract in franchise history. Hosmer, of course, is 28 years old, a left-handed first baseman, winner of three gold gloves, and a 2015 World Series winner. Uh, this is a guy entering his prime, uh, coming off a career year in which he hit 318, 25 home runs, and a 4.1 Fangraphs war. Uh, so they're going to get him for the heart of his uh, prime. Of course, the deal is front-loaded, $105 million guaranteed over the first five years before an opt-out, um, with three years and $13 million each year uh, hanging on the rest. So this would theoretically carry him through his age 35 season. Kevin, what's your takeaway from this deal? No, I like it. I, I'm not sure where the Padres are going at this point. I know, I know they're in a rebuild. Don't know if they're close enough to really contend. Um, so, you know, I, I like them, you know, going out of their comfort zone a little bit, signing someone that, you know, they probably wouldn't usually sign, uh, especially the length and the um, type of contract they gave him. I mean, this is the first year, first person they've ever given a contract over five years to and over, I believe, $100 million. So, you know, the Padres are stepping out of their comfort zone. They must think that their rebuild's going well. And, you know, I like Aaron Cosmer. I mean, he's projected, or last season, he had 25 home runs, 94 RBIs, uh, you know, 132 OPS plus, 882 OPS, all career highs. Um, you know, I, I really like what I saw at him last year. And, uh, you know, the Padres are taking a chance. I, I think he's going to have to be good two or three years from now for this contract to really work out because uh, I don't think they're competing, for, contending for the next two or three years. So, um, they're going to really need him at his age 30, 31 season to be productive. And if 
that's the case, then I really like the signing of the Padres. Yeah, I mean, the Padres have a lot of reinforcements on the way. Their top seven prospects are all ranked within MLB.com's top 100. Uh, so they certainly have a pretty deep farm system. Uh, with a couple of middle infielders and a lot of arms. Uh, Luis Urias and Fernando Tatis Jr. could be a future middle infield tandem um, that we're talking about for years. Um, but the rest of these guys, Mackenzie Gore, Cal Quantrill, Adrian Morihone, uh, I think that's how you say it, um, and Anderson Espinoza are all guys that have received high marks um, and should be you know, making a difference in that rotation, which right now has been stripped to the core. I mean, this lineup actually doesn't isn't that bad when you really look at it. They have Will Myers, who's now moving to the outfield, uh, coming off a career best year, uh, 30 home runs. seven on outfield last year, too. Yes, and he, he's been an outfielder in his career, so he's now just going to be able to dedicate his ta- uh, talents full-time to the outfield. Uh, a good, great hitter there. Hosmer, obviously. Hunter Renfro, who hits for a low average, kind of a Joey Gallo type, did up 26 homers. Um, and spend some time in the minors, but, you know, a, a nice player. Then you get Chase Headley, who's returning to San Diego uh, in that trade from New York, um, where, you know, last time he was there, he finished fifth in MVP voting in 2012. And then Freddie Galvis, someone you're very familiar with, Kevin, uh, having watched Philly, got decent speed, not a great player by any means, but, you know, someone who can kind he of... Goal, he was a gold glove finalist last year, hit over 20 home runs each of the past two years at shortstop. So, you know, there is some value there. Um, but yeah, you know, I think most of the value comes defensively and uh, he's probably just going to be, you know, that placeholder until one of these prospects. Yeah, him and, and Austin Hedges, um, I think, are, are two guys who, you know, are there for their defense. Um, but that's that's not a bad lineup. I think that they are going to score some runs, and they're certainly going to hit some home runs, despite Petco being a place where home, or, home run hitters go to die. Um, but at the same time, I think this is a great deal for Hosmer, obviously. You know, he gets that eight-year deal after a stagnant uh, free agency where nothing was really happening, but it seemed like he was in talks with the Royals and the Padres all offseason. San Diego finally gets their guy. Um, but there are a few drawbacks here. I think a big one is this could be a fluke season that Hosmer is coming off of. You know, he accumulated 4.1 war uh, by fan graphs measurements last year. In the previous six seasons, he had just 5.8 combined. That's less than 1.0 war per season. So he never was really, you know, that all-star type player necessarily. He was always, he was a good player. And certainly, you know, as his career went on, he got better and better. But this was really the year where he kind of separated himself from the pack, established himself as a top first baseman. And so obviously the Padres are hoping that he's going to continue to be that guy. Um, but they're, they're, I think they really had here was the fact that he won a World Series He's coming over here. He knows how a, a franchise can go from you know rags to riches, how the Royals started off so bad, um, and he was kind of part of that class um, in, in, with Lorenzo Cain and Mike Moustakis coming up uh, that kind of turned that team into a contender. And I think that he can do the same thing, be that guy in the clubhouse. You know, He's a very intense player, somebody who is held as a leader in the clubhouse. I like this signing. I just don't know if giving all of this money was over such a great amount of time was a great deal. However, front-loading it does mean that you know when he's in that age 32 season, he has that opt-out. Um, even if he does take it, it's only three years, $39 million over those three years. Not huge commitment uh, at that point. So the fact that they are front-loading it means that they're paying him when he's actually supposed to be good, which a lot you don't see a lot of teams doing these days. You see him a lot, you know, back-loading deals, getting... You know, Max Scherzer is a great example of that. Um, you know, he's getting paid much, much more than he was in the first few years, um, which, you know, that this is kind of the way it goes. But the, the Padres, interestingly enough, since they have a wide enough payroll now, are able to, you know, afford to pay him as much that now when they know they're probably not going to be good next year, maybe not even the year after, but they're still going to have Hosmer when he's 30, 31 years old. And, you know, they're willing to bet on that. My um, 
takeaway here is, well, I want to I want to gauge your interest here, Kevin. Who is the top first baseman in the NL West, and where do you rank them? Okay, so we got Cody Bellinger and Paul Goldschmidt. I think those are obviously one and two. I would say Goldschmidt one, Bellinger two. Um, but after that, there's Brandon Belt and Ryan McMahon slash Ian Desmond, whoever you know gets that number one, uh, the first base spot. Apparently, McMahon is the favorite right now. Prospect coming up with the uh, Rockies hasn't had a lot of playing time, but they do like what they've seen out of him. So, Brandon Belt at his stage in his career, or Eric Hosmer, who do you take right now? I mean, obviously, I would take Eric Hosmer. I mean, he, you said Eric Hosmer. I mean, it's a no-brainer. I mean, he hit 25 home runs, 95, 94 RBIs last year. The numbers kind of speak for themselves. And how old is Brandon Belt? A year older. So he's a year older, but he's not producing like he like uh, Hosmer has. Mm. Um, Over his last three years, uh, Brandon Belt has had 3.9 baseball reference war, 4.3 and 3.0. Didn't have as great a year last year. His OPS+. Plus. Fell down to 117. He hit 241, uh, but yeah, still just, was able I'd to hit 18 take, home runs. I'd just rather take the average. I mean, Eric Hosmer hits for what? Let's say he hit for, well, he had a 385 on base percentage, a 318 batting average. Mm-hmm. The slugging sitting right, right around 500. I, I just like those numbers better than Brandon Bell. Don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of Brandon Bell, um, but I, I think Eric Hosmer is, you know, a better first baseman. Um, but. I think, you know, Ian Desmond, if he has bounced back year, he can be in this conversation as well. I mean, the numbers he put up with the Rangers two years ago were, you know, very, uh, very close to these of Hosmer and Bell. And also he, you know, was able to steal bases and uh, really conform to a new position. So, you know, I think Eric, Eric Hosmer is definitely number one. But, um, you know, Ian Desmond and Brendan Bell are, are definitely in the same conversation. Um, they'll be interesting with the Rockies do at first base because, you know, they did sign uh, Desmond thinking that he was going to produce, and he didn't produce very much last year. So um, we'll see what this new prospect can do. But, yeah, i got to go with Eric Hosmer. Yeah, what Hosmer does have going for him is his athleticism. Athletic players typically age much better than non-athletic players. You know, you see chunkier guys like Pablo Sandoval as they get older kind of fall off a cliff. That's, that's You You went to, like, the furthest extreme, <laughs> the one player that just... Well, I mean, you look at Prince Fielder was an example, uh, Dimitri Young. You know, the players that are yeah, on the less athletic side. Prince Fielder's, like, his weight didn't really affect his career. It all came down to, like, a season or a career. Yeah, uh, obviously that injury. That injury. But, but he was falling off t- once he was, you know, getting to that point. So that was that was what I was saying. But anyway, um, Hosmer is a safer bet to bet on, you know, long term. I think right now Brandon Belt is the better first baseman. You just look at the last three years' his numbers. I mean, he's been a much more productive player, uh, maybe not as defensively, um, but in terms of offense, you know, you, you cited batting average, which isn't in itself isn't a great stat, but uh, he hit 280 in, in 2015, 275. It's a, it's a good stat when you compare 318 to 240. No, that's he had a down year. I'm saying he had, he had a down year last year, but was still able to hit 18 home runs. Um, and, and 18 home runs at a first base nowadays is nothing. That's like between the 20 and 30 range in Major League Baseball. I mean, you're not you're not really producing for your position if you're only hitting 18 home runs. Comparatively. Sure, 18 home runs at shortstop looks nice because mm-hmm. shortstop's a weaker position in the power department. The first base is arguably the most powerful position in baseball. So 18 home runs comparatively, when you look at it that way, it's really... Mm-hmm. It's still, I mean, 27 doubles, he hit 41 the year before, 33 the year before that. I mean, the power is there. And Hosmer, yes, had a much better year last year. But like I said, he's coming off a career year. I, I like this deal. I like, you know, the Padres going in on franchise cornerstone to be a long Will, Will Myers, so they extended uh, 
last offseason. So they have two guys locked up long-term who can kind of be those faces in the clubhouse as leaders. I like that. I'm just saying Brandon Belt, I'm a big fan of. I think that, you know, over the past three years, he has shown to be more reliable than Hosmer. Hosmer, probably higher ceiling, but I think Belt has a higher floor. Yeah, you know, we'll agree to disagree, I guess. I mean, you're, you're somewhat on my side. I think you're playing a little devil's advocate on this one. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think Hosmer is the third best first baseman in this division. In other news, Chris Tillman has returned to the Orioles on a one-year deal. We found that out just before recording the show. Uh, he will be uh, slotting back into a rotation uh, despite going 1-7 with a 7.84 ERA last year, had just 63 strikeouts with 51 walks and 24 home runs and only 93 innings pitched and 24 appearances. He only made 19 starts. Tillman has not eclipsed the 200 inning mark since 2014, also posted his highest walk rate since 2012 and career high hard hit rate. So not a great year for Tillman, looking to turn the page. Meanwhile, Baltimore, looking to do the same thing. Had an MLB worst 5.70 starter ERA last year, also gave up the second most home runs in the majors. To come to, uh, combat that, they signed Andrew Kashner to a two-year $16 million deal. It's such an Orioles deal. I, it really is. I don't, you know, if you're going to go after a starter, I felt like Jake Odorizzi was a great uh, trade target for them, uh, somebody they could have gone after. The Twins got him. Yes. Um, I think, yeah, I love Odorizzi. I think he's going to have a bounce back here as well. Um, so now where Baltimore is, obviously they've got Tillman, they've got Kashner. Uh, those are kind of be their top two guys. Then you've got a couple of X-Factors in Kevin Gausman and Dylan Bundy, uh, who are 27 and 25 years old respectively. Both are back, showed promise last season, but also had a few concerns. Gausman had a one four nine five whip. Bundy, Really high hard hit rate, seventh highest in the majors among pitchers. Where pitchers also, with at also least a really uh, high strikeout rate, and he, he was not really, necessarily. He was like an eight point something. And, and I mean, I really liked him the first half of the year. He kind of tumbled. He did, yeah. Half. And so maybe you know, with better conditioning, he's able to extend those numbers over the year. Um, but the thing is, for me, is, is the Orioles just don't have that number one. Tillman used to be that guy, and maybe you know, betting on a one year deal might pay off for him. But I really don't think that this is you know. A needle pusher for me in terms of where the Orioles stand in the AL East. I mean, there's clearly a divide here. The Yankees and the Red Sox are the number one and two. There's a major drop-off. Then you could put the Blue Jays and the Orioles together, and then there's a drop-off again, and then there's the Rays who are now rebuilding. So I think maybe, you know, you're in contention for the second wild-card spot, but with, you know, the AL West, there's got to be a team coming out of there between the Angels, the Rangers, and the Mariners. One of those teams is going to compete. Even the A's have made some sneaky good moves this offseason um, and have some young guys coming up uh, offensively that I really like. So I just don't see the Orioles making it you know, competitive in that AL East, and I, I don't see this as really changing anything in terms of where they stand. Yeah, I think it was you know a, a team with the Orioles with, with a need for starting pitching. Um, at this point, they just need arms to, you know, trot out there in spring training to see what they have. And it was a mix of that. And, you know, the, the free agent market wasn't really working out for Chris Tillman. Um, they kind of just both met in the middle and made, made this deal. And, and it's interesting because if Chris Tillman hits free agency after 2016, he might he might have gotten a decent deal. I mean, 16-6 and six at age 28. 16-6 with a 3.77 ERA in the AL East. I mean, those are good numbers. Um, so... It, it, it's just unfortunate that um, last year was, was one that he struggled in because it ended up, you know, screwing him out of a lot of money. But I, I think, you know, it, it was a – they just met in the middle. I mean, the Orioles needed pitching and he needed a place to go. And I, I don't think it's going to be a great signing um, at the end of the day. I think he's not going to be an Oriole past another year. But 
you know, they take a they'll take it. They took a shot on him, and uh, if he turns out to be the ace that he was in 2016, then you know they got quite the discount. I bet. Do you remember who the last pitcher to throw a pitch for the Orioles in a playoff game was? Give you a hint: the 2016, the last pitch, the last pitch thrown by an Orioles pitcher in a playoff game. Walter Jimenez. Yes. Edwin Encarnacion walk off home run in what the tenth inning? Eleventh. Eleventh inning. That was a great game. I, I love the wild card games. I think they're just that, an awesome thing that MLB did. That's a huge Orioles fan, so it just crushed his dreams. That you know they had the that was the year Zach Britton, Zach Britton was arguably the, the best reliever in baseball, and they kept him in the bullpen to save him for the twelfth or whenever they were going to get the lead or whatever. And they put Ubaldo Jimenez out there, which given at that point, Ubaldo Jimenez was pitching really, really well. I mean, he really turned it around the second half of that season. Uh, towards the end, you know, August and September, he was pitching really well, so they had faith in him. But at the end of the day, Ubaldo Jimenez in a you know crunch situation against one of the best power hitters in baseball. So Yeah, I mean, that's going to be one of the most questioned moves of Buckshow Walter's career. Uh, I got for a guy that's usually good at plugging the right relievers in the right situations. I mean, for the last couple of years, he's been able to, you know, harness one of the best bullpens in baseball. I mean, collectively over the last three years, I mean, they struggled a little bit more last year, but mm-hmm. I mean, that's also, that's, that goes with the talent, but it also goes with his decision-making. And I think he's a great decision-maker, but that, that decision obviously gets highlighted over a random game in September where he makes the right call. Obviously. So, um, now that Jimenez is gone, I think that, you know, Gabriel Yanoa, 25-year-old, only threw 34 innings last year, but had a 4-1-5 ERA. Um, they see him as kind of, you know, an up-and-coming arm that they might be able to rely on. There's going to be an open competition in spring training for that number five spot in the rotation. Um, but those guys, you know, could turn out to be solid back-end starters, but I really think that they needed to make a move for, a, a, if they really want to compete this year, okay, the, the Orioles... Lineup is not bad. You know, Jonathan Scope and um, Manny Machado are obviously two great hitters uh, and some that, th- that they're going to be able to rely on for the season for sure. You know, losing Machado to free agency is going to be tough. Um, but at the same time, you know, they still have Walling- uh, Wellington Casio is no longer on the team, I believe. Yes, he is signed with the White Sox now, so they've lost um, him. But they still have Chris Davis coming off of a not great year. Uh, obviously, he's never been Mark great Trumbo. average. Trumbo. Um, Adam also, Jones. Adam Jones. So they're looking for some bounce back years from a few guys. They like Trey Mancini uh, a lot. One of the best hitters in baseball, Manny Machado. Well, I already mentioned Making that move to shortstop. Yeah, and I, he likes shortstop better, so I think you know having him be more comfortable. He had that rough first half last year, then came back in the second half to still you know finish the year with respectable numbers, all, all said and done. Um, but Machado, you know, losing him is going to be the storyline all year for the Orioles. Is are they going to trade Machado? And so if they have a rough first half, I think he'll be gone by the trade deadline. It's going to be a tough it's move. A for, a, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's just a tough move for Peter Angelos. He never likes to rebuild. He never likes to, you know, sell. I mean, you saw the the price tag that he had on Zach Britton. I mean, he was demanding top-tier prospects for a guy that had injury troubles and ended up getting shut down toward the end of the year anyway. Um, he has surgery. He's going to miss part of this year. So uh, a great move for teams not to go for him. But, you know, if he had been willing to consider maybe a lower uh, deal, he might have been able to trade him, which I, I think the Orioles are just – they won't pull the trigger on, on, you know, rebuilding when they need to or at least, you know, not necessarily going in a full-scale rebuild. I don't think that's what they need. I think they need to just, you know, take advantage of the players that they're not going to have after this season and the value that they have and, and see what they can get out of trades. Yeah, and, you know, I – the storyline for Major League Baseball this year has got to be, you know, all those top-tier free agents. I mean, 
it's going to be a terrific offseason next year. Uh, very interesting for fans and, you know, media alike. But the story's going to be all season, you know, getting these teams win in their last season with these players. Uh, I mean, the Orioles with Manny Machado, Bryce Harper with the Nationals. Will the, will the Nationals win a playoff series before Bryce Harper uh, leaves? You know, a lot of people are saying the door's closing there. Um, the Indians, you know, it's almost as if they have one last run in them. Um, but who knows about them? You yeah, know, they, they're losing Cody Allen and exactly, Andrew Miller. Exactly. There's a lot of deals out. There's a lot of players on a lot of these playoff rosters. Um, you know, a lot of these contracts are coming to an end. So it'll be very interesting to see if these teams, you know, really go all in on this, you know, one last shot, especially a team like the Nationals. I don't really want to go on a 20-minute conversation about them. But, <laughs> you know, I, I in the years past, they haven't, you know, really gone out and make those blockbuster deals before the deadline. But it makes you think, you know, with it being maybe Bryce Harper's last year in Washington, do they go out, you know, before the deadline and make a huge deal um, or even before the season starts? I mean, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, kind of similar to what the Astros did signing Justin Verlander. They had that obvious need um, in the starting rotation, had a pretty complete team other than that. So they looked at that as, you know, a lot of money coming in. Uh, they're going to be paying for it certainly in a few years, but right now it's what they needed to push the needle. And it'll be interesting to see what teams, you know, see this as their last chance and go all in on this year. Um, but yeah, I think that this deal, Orioles not going to be really in the conversation for the playoffs this year. The AL, I, I see it being much more top heavy, um, you know, than it was last year. I mean, I, well, it was pretty top heavy last year without a lot of teams competing, but I think there's going to be some better teams, um, in that AL West. I see at least one of those teams emerging as a, as a clear threat, uh, maybe not to the division, but definitely for the top wild card spot. I, I'm not sure if I believe in the Red Sox necessarily taking over the Yankees, um, in the AL East, but I still see them being, you know, a threat as well. Um, so there, there's going to be a lot of good teams at the top, and I don't see the Orioles being in that conversation. Uh, we're going to go ahead and switch gears over to the NBA now, where Adam Silver, the commissioner, is considering changing the current playoff format on Saturday. He talked a little bit uh, about a new concept that would keep the best eight teams from each conference in the playoffs, but would seed those teams one through 16. So still taking eight and eight from the East and the West, but you know, considering you know maybe the top two best teams are in the West, uh, in this case the two best records in the NBA would be the Rockets and the Warriors. Um, they would be the one and two seeds despite being in the same conference. Um, so that could they could still meet in the finals, which would be something you know that's never happened before. Two teams meeting from the same conference in the finals. Um, Kevin, what's your take on this new format? You know, I the best format for me is to take the top 16, 16 teams regardless of conference. Um, to play in the playoffs, I feel like you know there's so many good teams in the Western Conference that really get screwed out of the playoffs each year for a mediocre team in the East. Um, but at the same time, I, I do like this change. I think if you're gonna, I think what I just said, that idea, you would have to get rid of the conferences altogether and just have you know it just be the National Basketball Association, no Western and Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're gonna keep the conferences, then you kind of have to do this: just take the top eight teams from each conference and uh, you know seed them based on record. I like this, but then again, I don't because, you know, a lot of teams, uh, you know, you, you just, I, I understand it doesn't fix the problem that I'm irritated about. And then they, that the Eastern, some of these Eastern Conference teams that really aren't play, playoff caliber teams like the Knicks, you know, the Knicks are right outside the playoff line somehow. Um, but, you know, I don't really think they should be in the playoff line. But with this new seating that, you know, they would be, they'd still be in the playoffs. So, yeah, I'm rambling on, but I think it'd be really cool to see, you know, East versus West teams before the finals, potentially, you know, two Western Conference teams in the finals. Um, now, do I think 
that's how it would end up. No, I still think it would be Warriors Cavs. I still think they're the two best teams when it comes to playoff time. Uh, I mean, simply off the fact that LeBron. I mean, I think LeBron. But if you think about it, the way things are right now in the standings, uh, we've got the Rockets in the one seed, Warriors in the two, um, Raptors would be three, Celtics four. So say, you know, the way it works out because you know Cavaliers haven't had a great regular season. They had that big str- uh, stretch of struggling. There's a chance for the Warriors and the Cavs to meet up in the, you know, semifinals, the the you know, not Eastern Conference Finals, whatever, but like, you know, the, the semifinals of the entire tournament. So there's a there's a chance that we would be seeing two different teams simply because of seeding. Um, and that comes into play. What I think, so in order for there to be a change, you have to have 20 of the 30 teams sign on to it. So you have to be able to um, cater to not just the top teams, because this kind of favors the top teams in a way. Um, and there's a lot of teams that wouldn't be making the playoffs that would say like, oh, well, this kind of takes me out of the conversation. I don't really like that. Here's how I see a compromise coming about. Okay, so we abolish conferences altogether. We keep the six divisions, all right? Uh, and have them play, you know, with the scheduling, have them still play the same number of games against teams within their divisions, um, but then kind of spread out playing West teams and East teams. You have more like a longer East Coast trip maybe or a longest West Coast trip if you're a um, East Coast or West Coast team respectively so that you're still playing the same amount of days. You still have that rest uh, in between games because, you know, players are, the Players Association would freak out if you're having way more travel days, um, and you, so you kind of have to take that into effect. Now, for the playoffs, you have two teams from each division making the playoffs. So that's automatically 12 teams. Then four at-large bids based on the rest of the remaining top four records. I think that would be... So if we were to have that right now, teams that would automatically clinch would be the Raptors and Celtics, Cavs and Pacers, Wizards and Heat, T-Wolves, Thunder, Warriors, Clippers, Rockets, Spurs. The only team in that entire list that isn't already in a playoff spot is the Clippers. So that would add the Clippers to the conversation, yes, but it would also give you know uh, some teams that maybe are on the fringe of the Western Conference standings that would be in a playoff spot in the East a chance to still make the playoffs despite having you know being in that tougher uh, side of the country. So I think that format would be able to you know be feasible for the players' association, be feasible for the teams that are on the bottom trying to work their way into the playoffs, and still you know favor the teams at the top who are still trying to um, have that you know better chance at reaching the finals. You know, the Rockets are getting screwed out of playing with the Warriors on the same side of the, you know, same conference every year. What if, or the Spurs or whoever it is, what if they were, you know, that that number two seed and they were able to face off in the finals? I think that would create for some great, um, you know, seeing probably what could be the two best teams this year. Because it looks like, in my opinion, I think the Rockets are in the conversation for the second best team in the NBA. Maybe not, you know, bonafide number two with the Cavs playing really well lately. The Raptors are doing well. The Celtics are doing well. There's definitely, you know, it's not for, locked in for sure. But I think putting that Rockets in that conversation, being able to see them, James Harden against Steph Curry in the NBA Finals would be an insane thing to watch. Um, and yes, we got to see in the Western Conference Finals with James Harden choking. Uh, but I think that, you know, putting them on that stage, giving the the, the uh, a team like the Rockets, a chance to compete for the NBA Finals would be so much fun to see. Yeah, you know, I I would disagree. And I, I still think, you know, the best Finals matchup would be Durant versus LeBron. Um, I mean, two, the two best players in the NBA facing off. But, you know, I do like this new system. I think your idea is also a good idea. I think there's a lot of ideas out there that, you know, could feasibly work. Um, but I think it, they need to have a change. I mean, the Eastern Conference, you know, that side of the playoffs has become a joke. Um, you can basically, you know, if there was a bracketology for it, you could, you know, you get 100% because you just put in the top seeds. 
or you put in a team that you know maybe they're not maybe they're a top seed, but you know they have an injured player, so you take the bottom seed. Whatever, it's really easy to, to call those series, um, and I think they need to make a change. I really like this one through sixteen seed thing because you know at the end of the day, if you're on the fringe of the playoffs, um, you know, there's a lot of teams battling. I think it'll you know help tanking a little bit too um, with the seeds, but. You know, I, I think the NBA needs to make a change, and I, I'm confident Adam, Adam Silver is going to, um, you know, come back with a, a good change that will benefit the NBA in the long term. Yeah, I do like divisional play. I think that there's just not really a stress on it in the NBA, and to kind of have, you know, like these days, rivals are the top teams in the conference. You know, like the Cavs, Celtics are rivals because they're both really good, but you don't have established rivalries between two cities that date back. You know. Decades. I mean, obviously, you'll have things like the Lakers-Celtics. Obviously, you know, two-storied franchises. But you don't have, like, a Yankees-Red Sox kind of rivalry, a Cubs-Cardinals rivalry. I mean, I feel like putting a bit of an emphasis back on the divisions would really pay dividends for for monetary reasons, uh, for the fans, uh, for teams to have that established rivalry with players. Um, you know, SB Nation has started this great thing where they start doing beef history. Have you ever seen those videos? They put them up on Twitter. They're awesome. And it's like 10 minute shorts on like the history between Kobe and Ray Allen and how, you know, the beef played out between them and Ray Allen had this prophecy of all this stuff, you know, is because at the time they were, you know, they, they came up, players came up together. They had that rivalry at the beginning of the careers. They butted heads. It was fun to watch. I think that would be, there would be more of stuff like that if you had, you know, teams playing each other a certain amount of times per year, um, maybe even you know twice in the same week sometimes. I mean, we see that every now and then um, in the scheduling, but it's more of a fluke than anything else. I think to see you know teams develop styles of play against each other more often would be good for the NBA. Yeah, yeah I mean, we'll see um, what goes on. But you know, have you had a chance to look at the current NBA playoff matchups as, as is right now um, after the All-Star break? We have some interesting matchups. Um, your Pelicans are sneaking in as the eight seed. Uh, they play the the Rockets, probably get swept. Yep. Um, <laughs> Portland Golden State's not a bad series. Um, you know they they lost. Didn't that happen last year too? Yeah, it went five games last year. Mm-hmm. I mean the the Trailblazers were uh, able to take a take a game. Um, you know, but the one couple matchups that intrigued me: Boston Philadelphia. I think the Sixers. You know, obviously I'm a little biased, but I think the Sixers have the type of roster that you need to, you know, challenge the Celtics. I mean, Kyrie Irving's not going to be able to guard Ben Simmons. Uh, Joel Embiid will call, cause issues. They don't really have, you know, a great big man defender. Horford's all right, um, but is he shutting down Joel Embiid? Probably not. So that's going to be a good series, um, too. And then also in the Eastern Conference, you know, Cavs, Bucks. I think that has the potential uh, to be an upset. You know, the Bucks, you know, uh, have been playing – below their potential all year, but if they're able to, you know, break through, I think they have a chance to win that series. Can you imagine if the Cavs lost in the first round? There would be so much drama following that that series loss. Um, Cavs, Bucks. Yeah. I mean, if if the Bucks were to somehow win that series. And everyone would start proclaiming that Giannis is the best player in the NBA. He beat LeBron and took his throne or whatever. But, no, the other, the other, the last series that really intrigues me is Timberwolves Thunder. Yep. I think that a four or five matchup winner would play the Rockets. I mean, that would be you know terrific. Um, I mean, Paul George versus Jimmy Butler, uh, Jeff Teague versus Russell Westbrook. I mean, you got matchups up and down that floor. Stephen Adams, Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, what a yeah. series! I mean, <laughs> they got a lot of names. To and then I that. think I have to vote in the Wizards Pacers would be the worst playoff matchup. <laughs> um, probably the most boring. I mean. Depending on if John Wall is even you know healthy at hey, that point, free Sato. 
And I believe in Thomas Sedaransky. And, you know, I mean, the Pacers are just one of the most underwhelming playoff teams I've seen in years. So uh, that, that you think You and, think that holds to, less intrigue than uh, Raptors Heat? Well, well, the Raptors are a one seed, and and I just don't see them losing to the Heat. You know what I mean? So I, while that's a boring matchup, a 4-5, I mean, okay, those two combos are the worst because those the winners of those two matchups would play each other. Mm-hmm. As of right now. We're probably going to see so, Raptors-Wizards, which has been a playoff series we've seen before. Raptors-Wizards, and one of them goes to the conference finals. That's garbage. That means, that means right now, as of right now, this, the Cavs and Celtics wouldn't even be in the Eastern Conference Finals. They'd be in the semis. Which would be great for the Wizards. <laughs> one of them's going to take the other out. I think, you know. I think if you're, the, if you're the Cavs, just don't gun for that. Don't gun to move up. Gun to move down one. Play the Pacers in the first round. Play the Pacers or the Wizards. And then you get Toronto in the second round. And then you don't have to play the Celtics to the finals. You just have to hope that the Celtics aren't able to pass the Raptors. Which Raptors won seven straight. Celtics dropped three in a row. So trending opposite directions right now. Raptors are on fire. Nine and one in their last ten games. Um, so they're so certainly. Have, I mean, though, DeRozan and Lowry over the last couple of years in the playoffs have been some of the worst playoff yep. performances in mm-hmm. you know NBA recent history. I, I could see the Heat honestly making a run. I mean, they've got they've got oh, some talent. Not. If they're able, hey, they're, they're, they just lost their best scorer. So a season in injury. I mean, Deion Waiters. I mean, I'm not even 100% confident they'll make the playoffs. I think Detroit ends up making a run for the last seed. Um, and he's actually that. their second highest scorer. Dragic is their top scorer. Okay. Um, and if, if, if Hassan Whiteside, who actually has a 24.5 player efficiency rating this year, if Hassan Whiteside can really just stay healthy, I think that's going to make a huge difference too. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I like the Heat a lot. I just think, I think, I think, that, I just think the Pistons. I mean, they have the Pistons have to make the playoffs at this point. I think they're going to be. Desperate I'm just surprised the Pacers are still around. I mean, this is this is a team that I just haven't believed in all year. I mean, Oladipo. I mean, they absolutely, yes. they absolutely won the trade with, for Paul George. Didn't oh they? yeah, Victor Oladipo. Sabonis has been really good. I mean, I really like what they got in that trade, and you know, sure they lost Paul George, which has really helped the Thunder as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, the trades work for both teams. It's yeah, just... but the, if the Pacers are going to get a return, they got the right return. Oh, yeah. So, um, no, I just wanted to go through those matchups because I think, you know, we can revisit that in you know, three, four weeks. See how yeah, it looks, but... I just think that's a fascinating idea to, to move the – it was like when the MLB added um, a second wild card spot. I, you know, that was being debated hotly. You know, is there – enough teams in the playoffs i think adding that that team the wild card round makes for so much excitement um it's kind of almost though you know it's kind of screws over that top wild card seed because now they have to play in that do or die game um but at the same time it makes winning your division all the more important you know you get that especially if you're the one seed you get the to play the, the team that just had to use this number one starter um so i, I think it, it paves the way for top seeds to make the, the world series um, which, you know, you obviously want to see the best teams facing off. So I, I think, you know, that idea was great, Rob Manfred. I think Rob Manfred is doing a great job, and I think Adam Silver, the two of them, have been awesome since they've taken over uh, as commissioners. Goodell. Goodell is a whole other story. Not a fan there. Um, but, you know, with the NBA, I think they're trending in the right direction, and considering something like this um, would be, I, I think, beneficial for them. Finally, we're going to talk about some college basketball. We had some insane games uh, on Sunday. Uh, a couple of big ones in the ACC, two in the or one big game in the ACC, two in the Big Ten, and one in the American Athletic Conference. So we're going to go ahead and start with Duke uh, beating Clemson. Of course, Duke ranked twelfth in the country, Clemson eleventh, sixty-six to fifty-seven. Marvin Bagley the third has missed three straight games with an injury, but Duke has not missed a beat, winning all three after dropping two straight 
before that. And Wendell Carter Jr. has kind of stepped up for them. He scored 15 points with 10 rebounds down low, uh, missing his front court partner, uh, but certainly carrying the weight there. So Duke beating a good team in Clemson, their offense. Uh, didn't show up as well, you know, 66 points, not a huge performance for them. We're used to them dropping 80, um, but they were able to hold their own defensively, holding them to 57. Uh, this was, you know, a great game for Duke, and, and I think it kind of shows that while, yes, there have been some ugly losses for them and, and that they're, they've been kind of an up-and-down team, I think they're still in the conversation for a top five team in the country, six team in the country, probably look on the outside looking in when all things are said and done, but I would consider them a very big threat in the ACC tournament, and by no means is Virginia, you know, clinched the ACC to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it says at the end of the day, I mean, they're playing without their best player right now. They're playing without Marvin Bagley. I mean, what he brings defensively and, you know, on the offensive side of the ball is terrific. I mean, they didn't shoot the ball very well in this game. I mean, like you talked about with Wendell Carter, I mean, he had 15 points, 10 boards, but he shot four for 14 from the field. I mean, this team didn't play that well yesterday, um, and they were still able to win by nine against, you know, a top top 11. 12 team, yeah. top 11 team in the country. So, you know, I really like this Duke team. I think when it's all said and done, uh, they might win out the rest of their ACC schedule, and if they win the ACC tournament, for all means, they're number one seed. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if they're, I think it's between them and Duke for that one seed. Um, I think, what did I say? You said them and Duke when you are talking about Duke. Oh, uh, okay. So, yeah, them and UVA, I mean, I think it comes down to one of those one seats is going to be out of the ACC, and it's going to be Duke or Virginia, um, and whoever wins the ACC tournament. If neither of them wins the AC tur- ACC tournament, I could see both of these guys being on the two line, um, but we'll see. I really like this Duke team. I think when Marvin Bagley comes back, they're just such a well-rounded team. Grayson Allen's really picked up his play as a late. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was great in this game, 19 points, four, four steals, four assists, um, nine for nine from the free throw line. I really like what I've seen out of Grayson Allen. I think he's played a lot more aggressively this year. I think last year, uh, you know, the way he was playing was a little out of control. You know, you saw him tripping people. And, you know, he, he's good when he's aggressive, but sometimes he was over the top and, you know, got him in some foul trouble and such. So I really like the way he's playing this year um, and how he's fitting with this offense, I think. You know, compared to last year, I think, you know, with Luke Kennard and, and some of the others, he had – players near his position that were very similar types of players. Um, this year, you know, all the all the talents that, you know, Trent Duvall is a point guard, Gary Trent's a guard, um, Wendell Carter's a, you know, down-low player, and same with Marvin Bagley, down-low player. So he fits right in, really. He fits in right in that mold. Um, and, you know, I, I like this two team. I, I, you know, people were kind of down on them after they lost to uh, UVA. They are like saying UVA is the king of the ACC, but I would wait until the ACC tournament. I mean, I think... You know, UVA showed some weaknesses when they lost to Virginia Tech, um, and I think there's, you know, a big chunk of the season still left. Yeah, and we've talked a lot about the ACC on this show and how it's been, you know, the premier conference, but the Big Ten has making a huge push for it, and there were some games that really came into play in terms of the uh, Big Ten standings. Number 22, Michigan, uh, beat Ohio State, number eight in the country, 74-62. to 62. Freshman guard Jordan Poole scored 15 points off the bench, and the Wolverines never even trailed in the second half. OSU's loss gave Michigan State, uh, also considered one of the best teams in the country, sole possession of first place in the Big Ten, putting OSU one game back. Another game, number six, Purdue, beat Penn State in a nail-biter, 76-73. Carson Edwards scored 27 points with three steals and four assists to overcome a nine-point deficit and keep Purdue tied with OSU for second place in the Big Ten. So you've got three teams within one game um, in that Big Ten. um, And of course, snap the Boilermakers' three-game losing streak following a 19-game win streak. So... Two big things here. 
Can Michigan State lose? Are they going to be you know toppled in that Big Ten? And where do you put Ohio State and Purdue in terms of the national rankings right now? Because you know Ohio State trending upward uh, until they lose to Michigan, and then of course Purdue trending downward until they get this win, win here, you know, a nail better over Penn State. So here's my thing: I watched the entire Northwestern Michigan State game um, this weekend. I, I you know they were down at one point twenty seven points, and you know the resilience resil, resiliency I saw out of Michigan State was unlike any other. I think Tom Izzo has. You know, the combination of the talent he has on that roster to go along with his coaching ability. I mean, this Michigan State team has a chance to do big things this year. Now, do I think I'm gonna, they're going to win the Big Ten? It's hard for me to say because I think Purdue's really good as well. Um, they were missing one of their top players yesterday, but, you know, they are still in, still went out and, you know, got the win. I really like Purdue, and, you know, it, it came down to a last-second shot when they played Michigan State. So, you know, they're really even teams. Um, Ohio State, I think, is the next tier down. In the Big Ten, I mean, they're good, but um, at the at the same time, I, I'm not sure if they're you know able to win the Big Ten. So they're you know they're probably a three or four seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, but kind of off topic, the AP rankings did just come out for college basketball. Duke moved all the way up to number five. That's what um, I'm saying. Top so five. so there you go. Um, you know, they're right outside that number one seed line. Somehow Xavier did not fall after losing to Villanova. Um, they're still number four. Villanova three, Michigan State two, and Virginia is still number one. Now some surprising teams have slid in. Gonzaga um, was nine; they've moved up three spots to six. Uh, Texas Tech is also tied. They have two teams tied for six, which is weird. I I don't know when the last time I saw that. Um, but Texas Tech's a team, you know, that's kind of interesting. Along with Auburn, I mean, Auburn lost to South Carolina this weekend, but Texas Tech is interesting because um, they're not usually a basketball school. And you know, look at them this year, sniffing at a one seed. Uh, in the Big 12, uh, you know, alongside Kansas, giving Kansas some trouble. I believe Kansas has won that, uh, the Big 12, 16, 17 straight years. So um, the fact that Texas Tech has given them some trouble this year is surprising. Um, the one team that, you know, I'm kind of worried about is Cincinnati. They fell down to a number 11. Uh, they fell to Wichita State at home yesterday. Uh, you know, I was really high on Cincinnati, but they've lost two in a row in conference now. They lost to Houston and then lost to Wichita State. You know, very concerning. Uh, for, for this team moving forward because, you know, we talked about it on the last show. At least Xavier, uh, we talked about, you know, the two Cincinnati teams, how they're both top six teams. Xavier at least put up a fight against Villanova. Um, Villanova was lights out from three. I watched most of that game as well. Uh, but Xavier at least put up a fight, and that's why they're staying at number four. But Cincinnati, you know, lost two games against, you know, Houston team they should have beat. And Wichita State, which is, you know, a top 25 team, move all the way up to 13, but, I think Cincinnati is a better team. So I'm not liking what I see out of their play right now, and I think they could easily drop to, you know, three or four seed come tournament time if they don't win the American Conference. Um, but I could go on for days, some, some of these teams on this rankings. I, I, college basketball is exciting. We're getting to that time of year where, you know, you're really finding out which teams are up there. Um, but, you know, two weeks two weeks from now, we'll have uh, the conference tournaments and then, you know, March Madness. So I, I'm excited. It's going to be great. Um, you know, the ACC tournament, the Big Ten tournament, Big 12 tournament are all going to be great. Uh, so, you know, let's wait and see. But, you know, I'm rooting for someone to take down UVA. Yeah, I mean, that, that Wichita State-Cincinnati game was big because Cincy is actually defeated against ranked teams this year. They're 0-3, having lost to Wichita State, Xavier, and Florida at different points this year. Florida not even, you know, are they still in the top 25? I don't no. think so. 
Um, so obviously a loss to Xavier, you can't fault them for that. But Cincinnati not being able to beat Wichita State, who they are actually going to play their final game of the season against as well. Um, so they're going to have another crack at them. But I think there's a big flaw here for Cincy um, in terms of stacking them against, against top talent. They're still number one uh, in the AAC right now, but Wichita State just a game behind. If Wichita State wins uh, that conference tournament, I could see them vying for a top you know, three seed uh, between the four brackets um, for sure. Yeah, I don't uh, think they cracked the top two. I mean, they've had some losses. This yeah, year that it really cost Wichita them, State's but... been an up and down team, but I do like them. Uh, they're a very good road team. Uh, which shows to you know when they go and have to play on on these um, courts that you know neither team has the advantage they have I think an edge there um, so I, I like Wichita State the Shockers you know still alive for the regular season title they're only a game back tied with Houston Houston a team that hasn't really been talked about this year but also kind of definitely making a push for a playoff spot um, I, I, I like the AAC I think it's a Intriguing conference, but I really don't see any other team other than Wichita State going pretty deep in the playoffs. Yeah, I wanted to, you know, I, I, I know you probably don't know much about St. Mary's, but I want to get your feel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the past, there's always been two teams from that conference, uh, the West Coast Conference, with, you know, them and Gonzaga. Uh, but, you know, what's your opinion on St. Mary's? I think, I don't think they should be a top 25 team. I don't think they should get a high ranking. I mean, they're a team that really doesn't go far in the NCAA tournament ever. So, um, you know, I, I think it's ridiculous they keep putting them in twenty-five or top twenty-five. I think they're always, you know, the the committee and the people that do these rankings are always looking for a team to take down Gonzaga in that West Coast Conference. And I'm just not a huge fan of St. Mary's. Yeah, I mean, they had some losses. Gonzaga uh, lost to San Francisco, um, and earlier this year they also dropped uh, back-to-back games against Washington State and Georgia. So th- this team. I feel like their name almost gets them a little bit farther than it should, uh, just considering you know they had some some good shooters a couple of years ago and and have kind of you know built off of. I always thought of Marquette as a similar team. You know they they're always kind of hanging around, but they don't really you know make a huge push to go deep in the playoffs. So their name recognition kind of gets them a little bit farther than it probably should. I think St. Mary's is a similar team. Um, haven't seen a whole lot out of them this year personally, um, but just looking at the numbers, they don't pop off the page to me. Yeah, you know I. I just it's it's really getting to annoy me over the last couple of years that St. Mary's has been, you know, it's like they consistently give them a, a good seating in the NCAA tournament and they always disappoint. Um, but yeah, I think it's you know it's a product of how good Gonzaga has been and everyone just vying for someone you know out of that same conference to be just as good as them and there just isn't. I was really disappointed Gonzaga wasn't able to pull out um, the um, the top seed. I wrote a column last year about how they you know were. Play, um, I did a double take with um, somebody who's been on the show, Bennett Conlon, um, looking at Gonzaga's playoff chances and seeing how far they could go. And I predicted they would make it to the Final Four. Um, and Bennett predicted that they would not get even close. And when they were riding them, I was riding high, you know, when they were winning. Um, I was excited for them to make it all the way, you know, smaller team. Um, the, the team that kind of develops players, which you don't see with a lot of these one and dones these days. But uh, I, I like Gonzaga a lot. Um, and I just don't think St. Mary's is at that caliber right now. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, that's going to do it uh, for our episode today. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes. Do follow us on Twitter at Pure Sports Net. Go like us on Facebook at Pure Sports Network and go to our website at puresportsnet.com. We have a lot of great content coming out this week that we're excited about, so be sure to check the website periodically uh, to see all of that. I'm Matt Wyrick. This is Kevin Haswell signing off. Kevin, any final last words? Uh, Trust the process and go Dukes. Go Nats. Thank you all so much and have a good one.